uh, Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going while the children are dismissed. Matthew chapter 26. All right. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, teach them on their own level there. Hopefully you're finding Matthew chapter 26. Saratoga, New York is famous for a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it's home to a major horse racing track, Brother Losey told me about. Um, then Saratoga is also a famous because of a major, it was the last, or the site of the last major battle of the Revolutionary War. It was fought there. To remind us of this great and decisive battle, a monument has been built, and if you can go, if you go there today, you can see it. It's 155 feet tall, and uh, cut into the base of each of the four sides of this monument is a ledge. And underneath that ledge are the names of the four American military heroes who led us to victory. There's a bronze, uh, there, there's a uh, nameplate there, uh, and uh, as you walk around, you see the nameplate, and on top of the ledge above the nameplate is a statue, a bronze statue of each one of these heroes. And so as we walk around this column, you see General uh, Horatio Gates, and you see General Philip Schuler, and you see Colonel Daniel Morgan. It's a very impressive sight. But as you walk around the corner of the fourth one, there's something noticeably missing. The sign is there with the nameplate, but there's no statue sitting there. The ledge is there, but it's empty. The name of the general is there. He once commanded West Point. He distinguished himself at the Battle of Lake Champlain, Quebec, and Saratoga. He was a great American hero. Everyone knew his name. Everybody celebrated him. He meant a lot to our nation. But then he sold his soul to the enemy. And he eventually died in poverty and disgrace. One person speaking of that monument said this, The empty ledge in that monument shall ever stand for fallen manhood, genius soiled for faithlessness to a sacred trust. Who was the man that should be standing there but isn't? We all know his name today. His name is Benedict Arnold. He was a great hero, uh, and I, it makes you ask the question, what would make a superhero like Arnold turn traitor to his own country? For that matter, what would make any person forsake their loyalty? What does it take for a person to take leave of their responsibility? In the end, there's only one word, and that is betrayal. And that's an uncomfortable word for us, isn't it? it brings a bad taste to our mouth. And one of the reasons it does so is probably because we've been there. We've probably at all, all of us at one point in our life been betrayed. And when you're betrayed, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hurt there. And maybe we also know what it's like to be on the other side, to be the betrayer. And that is equally uh, hard for us to bear. So maybe it's a good thing for us not to throw too many stones at the Benedict Arnolds of this world because we might break a mirror. We need to look at this uh, realizing that every single one of us are susceptible to be a betrayer. And today I want to look at a friend of Jesus that started out as a friend, and he kind of ended his life as an enemy. We meet a man today 
by the name of Judas Iscariot. He is the most notorious traitor and betrayer of all time. Let's read a passage here in Matthew 26, starting at verse number 47. Matthew 26, 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, and the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, laid hands on Jesus, and took him. Judas, the friend that turned traitor. Father, I pray you'd help us today find ourselves in this story. For indeed, that's the only way in which we might better ourselves, repent of our sins, and come closer to you. I pray, Lord, you'd show us ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen. His name comes from a form of Judah, which means Jehovah leads. When he was born, no doubt his parents had great hopes for him, and they named him a name that essentially said, we hope God leads you in your life. The irony is that perhaps no man was more clearly led by Satan than Judas was. His surname Iscariot signifies the location he came from. He came from a town called Carioth, a small town south of Judea. Of Judea. He's the only one of the apostles who did not come from Galilee. Most of the others were friends and some family, and, and some of them were co-workers before they came and started following Christ. But Judas was from the outside. He entered the group from afar. And there is no evidence throughout all of Scripture that he was ever excluded or looked down on or treated less than one of the group. His name appears in every list of the apostles except for the list in Acts 1 where he had already, uh, he had already committed suicide. Every time Judas is mentioned in Scripture, there's a tagline attached to him that mentions him being a traitor. He is perhaps the most colossal figure or failure in all of human history. He committed the most heinous act probably in the history of mankind. He betrayed the perfect, sinless, holy Son of God for a handful of coins, for hardly anything. Now, the friends we've looked at so far are a great encouragement to us. I hope you've learned some things. I know I certainly have about these men that sometimes are in obscurity in, in Scripture, and yet you do a little digging, you find out more about them. And one of the things that I have liked about going through the a series looking at the friends of Jesus is that we can so clearly identify with ordinary men that God used in extraordinary ways. And we see their failures and we see their successes and we, uh, we can identify with them. Judas, on the other hand, stands out as a stark warning about the potential of spiritual carelessness, squandered opportunity, sinful lusts, and a hard heart. Here's a man that drew so close to the Savior as it was humanly possible to be. He enjoyed every privilege that Jesus offered, his teaching, his fellowship, yea, even living with Jesus day in and day out. There was an intimate relationship. He was intimately familiar with everything that Jesus taught them. He had every opportunity, yet he remained in unbelief, and he's in hell today. Now, I think in this, we have a problem. 
Because we look at all the other disciples, and we've looked at some ladies as well. Uh, We looked at all the other friends of Jesus, and when we do, I think almost automatically our mind goes to how can I, uh, how can I identify with this person? How can I, what, in what ways am I like them? And so as we go through them, uh, we, we, we can identify with James and his temper. We can identify with Peter and his failures, even Nathaniel and his prejudices, or Simon the Zealot and his intolerance. We can identify with Matthew having a bad past and probably having to deal with that all of his life. But here with Judas, we have so vilified him. We have made him into a monster. We have removed his humanity. And in so doing, we absolutely separate ourselves from him. I can identify with Peter, but not Judas. No, no, not Judas. Judas was a monster. He was a horrible, horrible human being. I'm nothing like Judas. However, the life of Judas reminds us that it is possible to be near Jesus. It is possible to be intimate with Christ and yet at the same time uh, be hardened in our hearts. Yes, you can go to church and be have a hard heart. You can teach a Sunday school class. You could work in VBS. You can sing a special and have a hard heart. Hey, I can stand behind this pulpit and be hardened. Nothing protects us from going the way Judas does except love, prayer, hope, trust in God, and absolute no trust in ourselves. Truth be known, Judas was not a monster. Judas was just a man. He was, if if we're honest, Judas was you and Judas was me. He was just like any of us. Um, he had all the potential to fail that we have, and we have all the potential to fail that he had. So if we have Judas, if I could have Judas sitting in a chair here today, and all of us could put our heads together and come up with a single question to ask him, I think the question would be the same from all of us. Why, Judas? Why? Why would you do what you did? And I'd like to break that down. And in so doing, connect this man to us and connect him to me. As I said in the beginning of this series, one of the great things about the fact of of looking at the friends of Jesus is they are you and they are me. And we are them. They're no different than we are. They have troubles and they have weaknesses and they have failures just like we do. And yet Jesus Christ did wonderful things with them. And when we look at this man, Judas, let us not make the mistake of making him so vilified that we don't connect with him in some way because Judas is us and we are Judas. Let's look at some of the things that went through, that that he went through. Number one, I want to look at some perks. Mainly, I think Judas was drawn by the perks. Think of the benefits that came with traveling with a famous rabbi like Jesus. They were celebrities in their day. Wherever they went, people kind of, uh, of course, they had their enemies too, but most of the time they received free shelter and food, and you're able to meet interesting and important people. You were admired by most and envied by many. Yet, uh, and, and another thing, Judas not only got to be uh, in this group, he was one of the leaders in the group. He got to be the treasurer. He was one of the most trusted, if not the most trusted man in the entire group. In John 12... We're told that he carried the bag. 
Uh, Judas, in other words, had the company credit card. He's the one who authorized the spending and took care of those matters. This is a sign that he had a pretty large appetite for the perks, but it's also a sign he was very trusted by the others. And then not only the perks, but there was the promise. Uh, if Judas loved perks, then you can be sure he was flying high on Palm Sunday. When Palm Sunday happened, he would have to be licking his chops at the thought of what was to come. Think of all that would come his way when Jesus would establish his kingdom. You see, Judas was driven toward Jesus, one of the reasons, by the potential of power. Most historians and scholars agree that Judas was a one of the two disciples who was a zealot. You have Simon the Zealot, but I also believe Judas was a zealot. And these were violent extremists. They were dedicated to the overthrowing of Rome, even by violence if necessary. And Judas would have good reason to think that Jesus is one of them, that he was uh, at least a kindred spirit, because he also preached against tyranny. Uh, he talked about uh, building a new kingdom. Uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. Add to that, they already had a zealot, maybe even a famous zealot called Simon, in the group. And so Judas was drawn to him. Looking at Jesus, a zealot, as we talked about with Simon the Zealot, looking at Jesus, any zealot would think, this guy's a possibility of a revolution, exactly what we've been looking for. Did not Jesus himself say in Matthew 10, 34, Think not I am come into uh, the world to bring peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. Judas was a young patriotic Jew. He hoped Jesus would overthrow the oppressors, restore the kingdom, it's obvious that Jesus had powers like no other man. There was plenty of reasons for a man like Judas to be attracted to Jesus. And now, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode through the gates of Jerusalem. He was greeted the way that Judas always thought he should be. He was greeted like a military master, like a military <coughs> conqueror. And it was unfortunate that he was riding a donkey because that probably didn't look that good. But uh, he was excited at the attention he was receiving. And so some of the disciples debating about who would get the best seats in the kingdom. Well, Judas was almost assured he'd get one. Think of the thoughts running through his mind. Secretary of the treasury, uh, secretary of state. He'd have all kinds of positions opened up to him. So what do you get? If you just put on your thinking caps for a minute, close your eyes. What do you get? When you picture G Judas, uh, we have a, we, we can sometimes do that. Just kind of imagine what a person looked like. Rat face, shifty eyed, conniving, devious, kind of slimy. How you picture him? That's how I've pictured him in the past. But Jesus called him to be one of the twelve. He forsook all that he was uh, previously involved in to be a follower of Jesus. Something that's not asked of many of us. Uh, Jesus, uh, Judas stayed with Jesus when less devoted people left him in John chapter 6, verse 66. It's clear that he chose to follow Jesus and he continued to do so even when it became difficult. Judas was such an outstanding, trustworthy, upstanding person that they made him the treasurer of the group. He was rich water in that group. Amen? Respected. Admired. And, I mean, really, he was, uh, you, you don't put somebody in that group that you suspect of any kind of, of shenanigans. And uh, at the Last Supper, if you remember, when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, what did he do? 
The Bible says in verse uh, 22 of John 13, the disciples looked one upon another, doubting of whom he spoke. Who's he talking about? You would think maybe they'd all go, aha, that shifty-eyed weasel. I knew it was Judas. Nobody said that. In fact, every single one of them suspected themselves before they suspected Judas. Nobody pointed their fingers at him. And nobody said that, that they thought it might be him. And nobody suspected him because traitors usually don't wear t-shirts announcing what they're doing. The capacity to betray our Savior lies within every, every, lies within every one of us, just like it did Judas. You see, the choices that you have and the choices that Judas had, they're not that different. They're really not that different. Jesus Christ is calling you to love Him and His people more than your perks and your power. He wants your heart. Jesus had Judas's life, but He never had His heart. Jesus wants you to sacrifice your ambitions for something better. And dear friend, I can promise you what He has for you is better than what you have for yourself. Judas found that out the hard way. So something happened between Palm Sunday and Wednesday of that week that changed Judas. Jesus is talking crazy things. Jesus is talking about how he's going to go and die. In fact, he's talking about giving his life as a ransom. And listen, when you're all about perks and privilege and power and prosperity... And then the man that you follow to achieve these very things, he considers his own life, and yes, even his comfort, worth uh, forfeiting for the needs of others, even sinners. Someone like that, <laughs> someone like that could ask me to trade in my agenda to serve others. Somebody like that, he could ask me to admit my sinfulness and repent. Would he do that? Yes, he would. And he does. When your whole conception of power is wrapped up in the idea of superiority, you don't want to follow a supposed king who instead of ruling and reigning and putting you in charge with him, gets down on his knees and washes the dirty feet of those under him? That doesn't appeal to you at all if it's about position and power. That person might ask me to become a servant. That person might ask me to forgive the person who hurt me. That person might even ask me to take up my cross and deny myself. Would he do that? Yes, he would. Can you follow a Lord like that? Judas decided he couldn't. So he turned Jesus in for what seemed like a better deal. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He sold out the Christ for a moment of false power. Judas delivered the Savior for some short-lived glory and recognition. Is there any reason or any wonder that when he woke up and realized what he did, that he went out and he hung himself? Can we all learn a lesson from Judas? You see, people are still selling out Christ for worldly gain. Happens every day. Uh, people are still sacrificing the Savior for worldly position. You can still choose worldly recognition over personal holiness. People do it all the time. That's a Judas attitude. 
One day you'll wake up and realize in your despair that you've slowly and subtly sold your soul. Maybe you've been hiding behind a mask, seeking power, prestige, and perks. Whatever treason you have committed against Him, Jesus Christ offers a fresh start today. Hallelujah. He always stands ready to forgive and restore. As I was preparing this, I was thinking of a possible response as uh, people would listen to this sermon thinking, here we have a series, we looked at all these friends of Jesus, people who gave their life and sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. And when we talk about friends of Jesus, why in the wide world would we talk about Judas? He wasn't a friend of Jesus. Well, I call him a friend because I took it straight from the source. We read it just a moment ago. Look at verse number uh, look at verse number 50. This is after he came and kissed him. Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? <laughs> I find it both heartbreaking and glorious that at this moment of betrayal, Jesus calls him friend. It matters not how despicable we are. It doesn't matter the betrayals that we have Committed in our life, Jesus calls us friend. Can you imagine this? Knowing what Judas has done already, knowing what he's about to do, Jesus still offers him a chance, an opportunity. Hey, Judas, it's not too late for you, friend. It's not too late for you. I'll still take you. Oh, what a Savior. Thank God for forgiveness. Even in the midst of our betrayal, He's ready to receive us back. From a human perspective, Judas had all the same potential as the others. The difference is that he was never really drawn to the person of Christ. He only saw him as a means to an end. Judas' secret goal was personal prosperity, gain for himself. His heart has never been changed. And the truth, the light of Jesus' truth has never penetrated into his heart. Now listen to this statement very carefully because this is so dangerous for the child of God today. Constant encounters with truth that results in no heart response will lead to a hard heart every time. If you are in contact, you, you're, you, you got constant contact to the contact with the preaching of the word of God and with the word of God and all these different things, but you don't allow your heart to respond and accord to it, that's going to lead to a hard heart. Judas had every opportunity to turn from his sin as much opportunity ever afforded anyone in the world. He heard numerous appeals from Jesus to turn from selfish goals. Think about all the parables alone that applied directly to Jesus. The parable of the unjust steward in Luke 16, the message of the wedding garments in Matthew 22, his, Jesus preaching against the love of money in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus preaching against greed in Luke 13. Uh, when he preached against pride in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus had even told the twelve in John 6, one of you is a devil that should have woke him up. He warned them about the woe that would come to those that betrayed him in Matthew 26. Judas listened to all of that unmoved. He never applied any of the preaching that he heard. He never allowed it to penetrate into his heart. I reminded of that lady after a preacher got up and just preached his heart out on a Sunday morning. And he went back and was shaking hands with uh, the people as they were leaving. And one lady came up to him and, 
and uh, was shaking his hand, said, Preacher, that sermon was wonderful, simply wonderful. Everything you said applied to somebody I know. And that's how we listen to preaching sometimes, isn't it? Everything that we hear applies to someone we know. Can I tell you, friend, it better apply to me and it better apply to you because if we don't take that word of God and we apply it and we have these constant encounters with truth and we're not letting them penetrate into our hearts, it'll lead us to what Judas had, a hard heart, a hard heart. Judas sold Jesus for a pittance. As soon as the deal was complete, his conscience came alive. He found himself in the hell of his own making, miserable for what he had done. The money which had been so important to him before, now it doesn't matter. In Matthew 27, 3 and 4, a little bit uh, in the next chapter here, you can read along with me if you've got your Bible open. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? Ha, 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 see thou to that. His remorse, though, was not the same as repentance. Oh, listen carefully here. This is so important. He was sorry not because he had sinned, but because his sin didn't satisfy him the way that he had hoped it would. This is not true repentance. Oh, many, many people are still miserable in their sin today that don't repent. They're just miserable in that the sin is not bringing them the outcome they hoped for. But let's get back to this question. As we have Judas sitting here in front of us, why? Why would you do what you did? Judas was an intelligent man. He was a talented man. He was a trusted man. He left all that he had to follow Christ. And he fit in with the other apostles. He was respected. He probably wanted to do right in his own way. I do not believe for a minute that every time there was preaching or every time they were ministering to somebody that Jesus, uh, Judas was sitting there with a smirk on his face. This is so stupid. This is ridiculous. I don't think he was draw, drawing graffiti on the bulletin when he should have been listening to the preaching. Amen? That's right. I found some of that. There's no indication that Judas hated Jesus at all. There's no indication there was any malice there prior to this night. But as Jesus was talking more and more about dying instead of revolution, Judas begins to panic. What if Jesus was killed? Hey, he is the source of their power after all, is he not? He is how they're able to do what they do. Jesus has to stay alive in order to throw off the Romans. What if, what if, what if I could force Jesus' hand? What if I could force this issue to come to a head? He decides to help the opposition, knowing Jesus could crush them in a moment. Knowing that Jesus would just have to say the word and he would uh, defeat them. And so Judas made a deal with the devil. Here is the primary problem with Judas, in my opinion, and it's so common to every single one of us, meaning we can all connect to this one. Judas tried to take into his own hands the matters which were of God's doing. Jesus, instead of letting Jesus do what he did, instead of letting Jesus do things in his, his timing, Judas decided to take the reins and take matters into his own hands. He did not trust God. Judas knew that Jesus could escape, but it is never, ever good for us to move apart from God's plan in our life. 
Satan is a master counterfeiter. He copies what God would do and then he perverts it. He supplants God's best with our version of what is good. And when we start to put our version of what is good into practice, we often sacrifice God's best for us. Satan's promises require sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the temporary. So there's Judas. Betrays Jesus. Now, he sits back to watch the show. He knows that he has just betrayed someone that has much more power than those that are coming to take him. He knows that at any minute, Jesus could call 10,000 angels and, re and free himself. And so, he betrays him, then he sits back to watch the show. But wait, something goes wrong. Jesus doesn't fight in the garden. He tells Peter to put his sword away. And that's okay. Maybe he's waiting for the right time to strike. Maybe he'll do it when there's more important people there. Yet in the face of accusation, Jesus answers not a word. He allows himself to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. I wonder if Judas isn't watching this thinking, come on, Jesus, it's about time for you to step up. About time for you to take over here. Do your thing. Call those 10,000 angels. Wipe them out. But Jesus was busy commending his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. While he was reviled, he reviled not again. And Judas, as he's watching, no, 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 no. This isn't supposed to be happening. He's not supposed to be getting whipped. He's not supposed to be getting uh, a crown of thorns crushed in his head and people hitting him with sticks. This isn't supposed to happen. I've, I've got to make this right. And so he rushes back to the people that he made the deal with. They laugh at him and he throws his money down. What can he do now? He can't go back to the disciples because he, they all know he betrayed Jesus. He can't go back to his friends, the zealots, because he left them two years ago. He can't go back to Jesus, obviously. It's too late. Satan has done with him what he does with all the people he uses. He's left them a discarded husk. Now Jesus is dying. There's no hope of redemption for him. He realizes what he has done. And in desperation, he hears the voice again. The Bible says he had, he, that Satan had entered him. And now he hears the voice again that there's only one option left. Kill yourself. There's a reason the Bible says be sober, be vigilant. For the devil, your adversary, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't want to just hurt you. He wants to utterly destroy you. He wants to devour you. And he devoured Judas. And dear friend, he'll devour you too. And he'll devour me if we let him. And so Judas hanged himself. Apparently he chose a tree on an overhang above some jagged rocks. Either the rope broke or the tree branch it was tied to broke. And he fell headlong into those rocks. The biblical description is graphic and ugly. Acts 1.18 He burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. His body hit the rocks, but his blood could not atone for his sins. Only one man's blood can atone for our sins. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ who, Peter, who, who Judas never put his faith and trust into. Judas was such a tragic figure he couldn't even kill himself the way he wanted to. Nevertheless, he died. There's some lessons we can learn from the life of Judas that are so applicable to us today. Judas is an example 
a tragic example of lost opportunity. He heard Jesus teach day in and day out for over two years. He could have asked Jesus any question he liked. He could have sought and received the help that he needed. He could have exchanged the oppressive burden of his sin for Jesus' easy yoke. Yet Judas had a tragic end because he sacrificed the eternal on the altar of the temporal. Nothing is as expensive as a lost opportunity in your life. Secondly, Judas is the epitome of wasted privilege. The more privilege and opportunity we have, the more responsibility we have. And he was given the highest place of privilege among Jesus' followers, but he squandered it. He cashed it in for a handful of coins that he didn't even want anyway at the end. Proverbs 20, verse 17, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be full of gravel. You ever had gravel in your mouth? You ever dropped some food and then you uh, obeyed the five-second rule, only it was on some sand? And you put that in your mouth. You ever chewed on sand? That's pleasant, isn't it? Horrible. That's what, happened. That's what sin does. It's sweet bread in the beginning. It's gravel in the end. Oh, what a tragic trade that Judas made. He could have had it all. And he gave it up for his own selfish pursuits. Don't tell me, friend, that we're not Judas. We can be Judas as easily as just a flick of our switch. We could become him very quickly. Sin always tastes bad in the end. Thirdly, Judas exemplifies the ugliness and danger of spiritual betrayal. Would to God that Judas would be the only hypocrite who ever betrayed the Lord, but that isn't so. There are Judases in every age. There are Judases all around us. People who seem to be true followers of Christ, but they do so for selfish reasons. Judas' life is a reminder to us that we need to do regular self-examinations to just see if our motives are pure in our serving of Christ. Are we after selfish pursuits? Are we after honoring Christ? Third, fourthly, Judas is proof of the patient, forbearing goodness and loving kindness of Christ. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are above, are, are over all His works. He even shows His loving kindness, forgiving spirit, with a man, a reprobate like Judas. He even shows that loving kindness, forgiving spirits that He has with a reprobate like me. Praise the Lord for that that he's a forgiving God. Remember that Jesus was still calling him friend, even in the middle of his betrayal, calling him friend. Jesus never showed Judas anything but kindness and love and acceptance. And even though he knew all along what Judas was planning to do. And here we are today. Maybe you feel like you failed God in a big way. Hey, can I tell you, if Jesus loved Judas, despite knowing what he would do in the end, and in the very act of betrayal, still reach out to him and call him a friend. There is no reason to believe that he doesn't love you. There's no way that you can claim that God won't forgive you and use you. Dear friend, don't make the mistake today of distancing yourself from Judas. Oh, he's we've put him up on such a a distant place 
of monsterhood. We, we see Hitler and then we see Judas. We put him with the worst of the worst. We don't identify with Judas, not for a second. But we'd better because his betrayal can be our betrayal very quickly. I don't think Judas was that different than many of us. I think he lived the daily life we know because all the other disciples, they worked together. By the way, Judas cast out demons. He, he healed people. He was part of the, he had the power of God on his life because Jesus put it on him. And he was serving with the rest of them. He was in church. He was a leader. He was a leader. He was actually a leader of the leaders doing all these things for God. And at the same time, there was something inside that wasn't real with Judas. And there's a potential of Judas, there's a potential Judas in all of us, betraying our Savior for personal gain. Aren't you glad that through it all, he calls us a friend? Oh, praise the Lord for his forgiveness. I'm thankful for it, aren't you? I'm grateful today. Maybe you need to realize some of that forgiveness today in your heart. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.